This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. She said, you have no idea how many women I treat whose you know, spouses leave them after they go through something like what you've been through. And for you guys to be so young and he is still around, she goes, you should marry that boy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 85 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you for joining me. A lot going on, and I am really excited. I'm looking forward. This Saturday is the first stop for 2018 for the Undie Run Walk, and it is in Tampa, Florida. And I will be attending, along with my fellow teammates from Lee's Superheroes. I think this is my fifth Undie. So I'm really excited about that. And if you are not too far from the Tampa Bay area and would like to come out and join my team, we have room. We have always room for more superheroes. Would love to have you come out, be a part of the team. If you're not able to make it, uh, I'm going to ask if you can. Uh, Any kind of donation towards my team would be greatly appreciated. And what's interesting is that a portion of the proceeds will go to a terrific organization, the University of South Florida's Bridge Clinic. And the Bridge Clinic provides medical services to the underserved community in the Tampa Bay area. But what I learned is is that the money raised from the Undie Run Walk specifically enables the Bridge Clinic to provide screening colonoscopies, a topic certainly near and dear to all of our hearts. And I interviewed the a doctor that oversees the clinic at last year's Undie, and he told me uh, with no hesitation that if it wasn't for the Undie Run Walk, they would not have the funds to be able to provide those screening colonoscopies. So if you can come out and join my team, we'd love to have you. If not, I welcome uh, any and all donations. You can do either one. I'll make it real simple for you. All you need to go, all you need to do is go visit the colon forward slash undy, U-N-D-Y, and that'll take you to my page where you can either make a donation or join my team. We will be out in our full Batman regalia. Batman is my superhero, always has been since I was a kid. So that's what you'll see me dressed as. What are you going to come dressed as? Be curious to find out. Another event that I'm looking forward to is the following weekend, I'll be attending my third annual PodFest. PodFest is a conference of podcasters. People will be attending from all over the world. I'll be uh, emceeing a few of the breakout meetings and more importantly, uh, meeting new people, connecting with old friends, and hopefully lining up some guests for future episodes of the Colon Cancer Podcast. You might recall that last year I brought on two wonderful folks who shared their wisdom that was really beneficial. Uh, Bruce Langford 
came on the show and talked about mindfulness and how mindfulness will help calm your mind and ease much of the stress and anxiety that the, us patients, survivors, and caregivers deal with every day. And then I brought on Shell Hamilton. Uh, she is a, a hypnotherapist, and she gave us some really great techniques on easing that scanxiety that we all face. I will post the links to both of those episodes at the coloncancerpodcast.com website. On this specific episode, you'll find it under the Colon Cancer Podcast dot com forward slash zero eight five. My guest this week, I did something that I've been wanting to do for so long and finally got the chance to do it. And boy, am I excited. For the first time ever, I interviewed a husband and wife, uh, survivor and caregiver, and two wonderful people, Danielle and Mike Burgess. Uh, Danielle and Mike are very involved in uh, Fight CRC. And uh, their story is is just a great story. We had such a wonderful conversation. They are uh, a great couple. And we had a little joke, which you'll have to listen to the episode to hear it, about uh, me being able to tell just right through the screen here uh, how connected the two of them are and, and what a great couple they are. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Danielle and Mike Burgess. Danielle, Mike, welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast. How are you guys this evening? Doing well. We're good. Well, thanks so much for for joining me. You're actually my actually my second couple interview. It's been a few years since I've uh, interviewed a couple, so uh, I, I really appreciate you agreeing to do this, and and I'm excited to get to hear and get to share share your story. I want to start. Be here. Oh, well, good, 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 good. Um, something that recently caught my attention, Danielle, you just recently wrote about it, and a uh, beautiful post. Uh, tell us about your beautiful daughter. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, our daughter, her name is May, and she is seven years old, and we adopted her when she was four months old. And um, we call it her May Day, which is actually <laughs> January. Um, but no, my my colon cancer put us on the path of adoption, and we knew that pretty early on in our relationship. And so after we got married and had about five years of wedded bliss, we decided to start the adoption process. And in just a whirlwind experience, um, we got connected with her birth family and got a call about her. And about three weeks later, we brought her home. So the shortest adoption process we've probably ever heard of. We from start to finish became parents in three weeks. Oh my but goodness. May wow. is awesome. Yeah. Full of life. Um, she wants to be a famous actress in New York city one day. With chickens. She wants, with chickens. She wants that chicken. <laughs> with chickens. She yes. would get along with my wife. Famously, we live out in the country uh, between Tampa and Orlando, and my wife keeps talking about wanting to get chickens. So, yeah, yeah, she keeps us hopping. Yeah. So, am I doing the math right? Have you all been together twelve years? Married twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Married twelve. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long before that? don't mind me getting a little yeah. personal no i think we <laughs> dated for four and we were engaged for about a whole one between there so about five years and married 12 
So. So I know tomorrow is a huge day for both of you, if I read correctly. <laughs> yes. Uh, a, a big, a big seventeen-year cancerversary. I've got my seventh coming up in March. So, Mike, you came into the picture where in Danielle's diagnosis? Uh, I was there from the beginning, Danielle. Oh, okay. Danielle tells the story that uh, she went to the doctor because I told her to. <laughs> so Really? Yeah. Okay, now we, you really got me intrigued, so you got to tell the whole story. Yeah, we were dating um, pretty young. But yeah. I, I can't even tell you what age. I, I, was I don't 16. remember. <laughs> I was 16 when we started dating. So I must wow. have been about 19. And, uh, and I don't know, you probably remember it better than I do from like the actual process you want to take you want to take it from here Daniel? yeah sure <laughs> well <laughs> let's hand it yeah, off i was 16 he was 19 and we had been best friends for several years and he had gone away to college for that semester and we started missing each other more than we thought we would as really 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 good friends mm -hmm. so we started dating and talking over the phone, long distance, I feel like a dinosaur. There was no Facebook or texting right. or anything we like that. Calling, calling cards. We so. did use the AIM, you know, back in the day. We're the 90s kids. <laughs> um, but no, we, we started talking and um, started dating in October of 2000. And then um, because we were so close, I had been having some symptoms for actually several years. Um, but around the time we started dating, they started getting much worse. Um, I started having a lot of blood in the stool, not just a little, and uh, a lot of cramping. And I was bleeding to the point it was not something I could brush off anymore. And so uh, one night I mentioned something to Mike. I was pretty scared and I still wouldn't tell him what I was seeing. I was very embarrassed. I hadn't really told anybody. Um, but I told him, I think something's wrong with me. I think I should probably go to the doctor. And so he started pestering me and, um, my parents overheard him pestering me. Like, have you called the doctor yet? And I had mentioned some bleeding problems to my mom uh, several years prior, um, when they were very minor and we didn't think it was really anything major. And one thing led to another. My mom heard him pestering me my dad caught wind of some of my issues, and because of that, I was uh, put on the path very, very quickly to get into a GI, and um, it, it was just a matter of days before I had a diagnosis, and I had turned 17, so that was in January, the January after we started dating, so just a few weeks after I turned 17, that happened. And what was the initial diagnosis? It was um, stage three colon cancer. So it was January 23rd. So yeah, 17 years tomorrow. And um, actually my colonoscopy was the 20th. So I always had this endearment to George W. Bush because his inauguration day was the same day of my colonoscopy. So I just felt like we shared this, like we had some, <laughs> we had really big days um, that we shared so, yeah, I, uh, I went under for a colonoscopy. It was actually on a Saturday morning when my GI was doing procedures and, and fit me into a schedule so I could still work with that around school. And um, woke up. My parents looked like ghosts. 
didn't still didn't know what was going on. They didn't really tell me at the time. Um, I was so young and they were, I think they were probably in shock kind of looking back because I think the doctor knew what he was dealing with because he found a pretty sizable tumor. Um, but I didn't really understand what's going on until a few days later when, uh, they had to come tell me that what they found in the scope, um, was malignant. And my reply to that was, uh, what does malignant mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea. So <clears throat> it's been quite the experience to kind of be diagnosed with something like colon cancer as a kid, pretty much, and to have to very, very quickly learn the world of survival and all the terms and diagnoses and procedures. Mike, what was your reaction when you heard the news? Yeah, I was actually at school about two hours away when um, she called me and told me, you know, probably probably wasn't a calling card at that time because her dad probably said it was okay to call me and let me know. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I think I was surprised. Um, but at the same time, I, I knew she had gone in for the scope um, <clears throat> and I knew she had had issues. So, you know, I don't think WebMD was around, so I don't think I had researched it or it was very young. Um, but I was very young too. And you know, I was, I honestly, I was always a little hopeful, I guess, um, maybe more than definitely more than I probably would be now, like just cause mm-hmm. life was worn on me. Um, and you know, we can talk about <laughs> what happened the second time she was diagnosed because <laughs> I don't think either of us took it nearly as well as we did when we were younger and we didn't really understand what was going on. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah, I think there's beauty. I mean, it's in a crazy thing to happen to you in your teens for both of us there's some beauty in it because the the weight of what it meant and could have meant you know for us we just we were so oblivious to because we just wanted to get on with our lives like go on dates and go to the basketball games up at the high school go to dances like i mean cancer was just an irritation it was almost like a curfew or something that we were just dealing with in the midst of wanting to be, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Is this an example of the old expression, ignorance is bliss? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> if there's such a thing. You know, and my, my aunt had pretty severe breast cancer when I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And uh, I saw I saw my whole family rally at the time. Like, but I saw the fear, too. Um, and you know, she's still alive today and doing great. And so I, I think, you know, I, I never saw it as unbeatable at that point in my life because it was beatable. So, you know, a lot of people when they're in a relationship and especially in a fairly young relationship, I don't mean young in terms of the age of the individuals, but you know, not long into the relationship and, and this happens very frequently this results in one of the parties running the other way and saying, I didn't sign up for this. Why did you stay Mike? Uh, (laughs) Danielle mentioned that we had been friends for a while. So, you know, there was a lot invested already just in the friendship piece of it that I wasn't going to run off because of that. Like, (laughs) 
Because <laughs> you love me so tell, much. Yeah, tell, <laughs> You're head over it. heels in love. Tell the listeners we're just staring at each other, grinning. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They are. They are. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, I actually I'm, always I'm say sure a sense of humor pay, play something something yes. in some role in this too. Yeah. I it's it's neat because so in the midst of the experience I had, you know, a variety of doctors and one of my doctors was an OBGYN oncologist and she got involved to help suspend my ovaries um out of the way of radiation to try and save the hormone function. And so that procedure made me surgically sterile, which is why we knew adoption would be our, our path to parenthood. But I say that because she was my only female doctor in the middle of it. And she obviously had a lot of other uh, female patients that she would treat with ovarian cancer and uterine cancer. And so I'll never forget, you know, I go through this experience. She met me at 17. I get through it. I have a follow-up procedure with her. By this point, I'm a senior in high school. I'm 18 years old. And I'm like in the most uncomfortable position that you can imagine. Like the girls will know what I'm talking about. Like I'm in her chair and I'm in the stirrups and I'm like <laughs> sitting there. And she's trying to make small talk with me and just kindly is like, oh, how's your boyfriend? Because she had remembered him being in the hospital room. And I was like, oh, he's doing really well. And, you know, we've been together. And she just stopped everything and looked at me. And she was like, he's still with you? And I said, yeah, we're still together. And she said, you have no idea how many women I treat whose you know, spouses leave them after they go through something like what you've been through. And for you guys to be so young and he is still around, she goes, you should marry that boy. <laughs> That's fantastic. What a great story. So a few years later, <laughs> I did. <laughs> how many years later was it when you were diagnosed the second time? Eight. Eight. It was eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we thought, we thought I was on in the clear, you know, I had hit the seven year mark and we celebrated that. And shortly after that, I had a routine colonoscopy. It had been three years because doctors thought that should be enough. My genetic testing at that time had said there wasn't a clinical diagnosis involved. And so I had the routine procedure and when I woke up from that somewhat of a similar like deja vu experience, although it was just me and Mike and um, this point my GI hadn't found a tumor, but he had found a polyp that was very questionable. And so um, at that time he biopsied it and it actually came back that it wasn't cancerous, but he recommended I go ahead and have a subtotal colectomy um, to go ahead and get everything but about 13 inches out um, because he said, Danielle, I think your cancer is trying to come back. Um, I was 25 at that time. And so um, I, I had some things to do. So I scheduled about six months later mm -hmm. from when he did that because I didn't think anything was alarming. And so I kind of planned it around summer when my mom could help and Mike could help. And uh, come to find out, though, after the surgery, after the took everything out, pathology, went in for testing, and it came back that it had already been cancer. So it was stage one. So it was a second occurrence about eight years later. At what point did they diagnose you with Lynch syndrome? That came, so after my second diagnosis, we re we redid the gene testing, came back 
with the same results as my first cancer, but at the time it was a variant of unknown significance, which is pretty common. A lot of people have that reading, but because I had just had two cases of colon cancer, one at 17, one at 25, the doctors were eerily suspicious that we were dealing with Lynch syndrome. It just wasn't coming back. So they started treating me like a Lynch syndrome patient. And then about a year after they did that, so I, so I was diagnosed with a second cancer. A couple years after that, I went through a hysterectomy because they were suspecting Lynch syndrome. And about a year after my hysterectomy, I got a letter in the mail from Myriad who had done all of my prior gene testing and they had reclassified the variant. And so it ended up that I did have Lynch syndrome. So all along I've had it, but only the past probably five years have I known it's officially Lynch because science just eventually caught up to me and they'd seen enough cases like mine where they could go ahead and give me that diagnosis. So now you're what, nine years NED? Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. You talked in your blog, Danielle, about survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. Something I struggle with too. Mm -hmm. Talk about it. Oh man. What 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 do you what runs through your head? Um You know, at first I didn't really know what it was. I think it kind of caught me by surprise. Um, you, I, wow. you know, I think I would, I would lose a friend. Anytime you lose somebody, it's sad. And so I would experience like this sadness, but then I would feel really guilty that all of a sudden I caught myself being sad and I'd go, wait, am I really sad? And then I started to think, well, why should I be sad? I should be happy. You know, I'm, I'm alive. I, I have my life. And then after that thought, it was the one after, well, wait, why did I get my life? And so-and-so, you know, didn't. And, and why did the treatments work for me and the, the surgeries have worked? And, you know, what, why has everything put me on a path to surviving this? Well, man, I've made a lot of friends over the years that have not had this outcome. Um, but longed for it, you know, and especially the older I get, um, as a mom, it's been the hardest losing fellow parents. Um, and, uh, explaining to my daughter why some of these kids that she has met, um, you know, now, now their mom's gone or their dad's gone and, you know, it's, it, it's hard. I, I don't think I st even still mastered it. You know, this is my every day. Um, even, and even in the middle of kind of this storm, I'm, I feel sometimes I get the eye of the hurricane because I see so much cancer now and so much colorectal cancer, but I still have those days where, you know, especially when we lose friends that I do, it's almost like that autopilot response of sad, happy, sad, guilty. Mm -hmm. And unless, unless I recognize it and recognize that's what's going on and kind of stop my thoughts and then kind of work through my truths of, you know, it's okay for me to have lived and it's okay for me to celebrate that. And it's okay to be sad and mourn friends who are gone and just really be intentional um, with those thought processes have helped me 
not feel like I'm under that weight as much as I probably was in the beginning when I just did not understand what was happening to me. How, is, how has it touched you, Mike? Um, well, as she, as she was talking, you know, not to go backwards, but on the ignorance thing, uh, I was thinking about how, you know, when we were younger, you know, she was different. She was so different, 17 being diagnosed and, and in turn, it was kind of like we were different. You know, our our uh, pastor who officiated our wedding wrote in this nice little thing about, you know, how different we were because, the, you know, the question you asked, like, you know, we're still together. Um, but but then it was several years later, Daniel got involved in the community of young colon cancer survivors. And that became really you know, fun almost. It was like, wow, look at all these other people. Like we're meeting other people like us, people who have been diagnosed and have, you know, spouses or loved ones, caregivers uh, around. Um, But then the community kept growing. And when that community grows, uh, you get close to people. And then all of a sudden the cancer comes back and then they're not around anymore. And, it's that's part of all of it i mean obviously maybe but i guess you know i I was ignorant (laughs) you know and i wouldn't change anything but it's it's difficult to watch um uh caregivers lose their lose their spouses or you know Mm. whoever it is um i i had this phrase come to mind you know at one point when i i don't know if i met someone or whatever but it it just came to mind where i was like that person's living my nightmare like right there and i i empathize with them because the second time she was diagnosed i didn't realize how scared i was for several years i I think it's because i'm a man but (laughs) but for several years i did not process how scared I really was. I just kept on trucking. All right, here we go. We're going to do it, you know? And then one day it was like, we woke up and looked at each other and I was like, man, that was really scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the blessing and the curse, you know, the blessing of being around people that unfortunately you have this thing in common with. Yes. And the more you immerse yourself in the community, the wonderful things that it brings, but certainly it certainly puts you right there in the middle of the pain too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. How, Mike, how, or do you deal with at all that lurking? What if it comes back? Uh, every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I've, I've told some of my, <clears throat> I've told, friends through my 20s and 30s, you know, guys who I get with. Uh, it's just to meet and hang out and drink a beer and watch sports. And, you know, the conversation goes a direction for whatever reason, or maybe I've had too many to drink. And, uh, you know, I tell them, I, I've told them, I, I'm pretty sure I think about death a lot more than the normal 20, 30 year old does. Um, you know, when you're you see that happen you're not 20 no i, I was 20 <laughs> I was 20 when i was saying Wait it a at first okay, okay. Right. 
It's been several years. Okay. <laughs> like, wait, are we 20 again? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I, I see I see single parents living anyway for any reason whatsoever. And that comes to mind like I don't know how they do it, you know, like um no matter no matter why they're a single parent, I just like, man, that would be really hard. And that triggers the thought in my head, like, I don't I don't know if I could ever do that. Like, you know? So yes, I think about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, how about you? Um, you know, I've, I think it used to be more of a, it used to be more of a thought than it is now. And I'll consider that one of the many blessings of it. And you'd think it would be the opposite being in the middle of the colorectal cancer community, you know, talking about this every day, writing about it, losing people, seeing new people diagnosed. I mean, every, that is my everyday but I actually think about it less than I used to because I'm, I'm, I don't know. I guess I, I'm fortunate to be kind of activated in the activism part of it now. And I think that, you know, a diagnosis is a, is a cycle, you know, it's a, a lot of this is cycles of grief and stages of, of healing and, and I, th I think I'm kind of to this cycle on the far right where I'm in go mode, where I'm, I've processed the pain, you know, physically, emotionally. I'm a big, big um, supporter of getting counseling. And so um, I have worked with a counselor who's helped me process a lot of this trauma and pain. And so, you know, I think, I think for me, I've, you know, I've, I'm, I'm not, I have the side effects just like everybody else, which would be a whole other podcast. Um, I'm, you know, 17 years in, I still deal with that daily. And I have really um, faced this head on the past several years, emotionally, uh, mentally, and spiritually, and really worked through that. And so I think that's why I'm I'm to the point where I'm I'm through that, I'm through the thick of it. And I'm kind of in this place where I have a weird peace with my diagnosis and where it's brought life and, you know, I kind of have some open hands about it. And so tomorrow I get to celebrate another year, um, as a survivor, another day I'm cancer free and I'm very aware that it might not always be like this. Um, and so I'll kind of catch myself every now and then just looking at May or looking at Mike, just kind of sending up thank yous and blessings. Like, not taking that for granted that I get this moment and kind of hoping I get some more, but I am to a place where if I, if I don't, um, then I'll take, I'll take that in stride, but I'm not going to fear it probably as much as I used to. You mentioned thanks and blessings. What's been the positive about this in terms of how it's impacted your relation, your, the two of you's relationship. Oh man. So that's actually my post tomorrow. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I've been prepared. I have 17 reasons. Oh wow. Yeah. I've seen this used for good. Um, so, um, one, no, I won't go through all 17. <laughs> People can go read it. Oh, we, 
Well, well, yeah, and understand that uh, this podcast is going to come out a week from today. So as I'm talking about tomorrow, our listeners need to know that we're talking about uh Tuesday, January 23rd, even though this podcast is going to come out on Tuesday, January 30th. (laughs) So just so so people aren't confused. Yeah. Um, So I guess for me, and there's, there was a day I would have said there's no positive. No, wait, let me back up. When I was 17 years old, honestly, all I could see were positives. I felt like I had lived this like very vanilla suburban life. No offense, but to everyone else in vanilla suburban lives, <laughs> which is me again. Um, but yeah, I just didn't, I've always had felt like something inside of me was different, but nothing looked or felt different. And so when it came, um, I, I was like, oh, okay, here's this. And then I was actually really positive at first. And then Uh, When it came back at my second diagnosis, that's when I was the hardest and I had a really hard time seeing any positives in it. And all I could really feel was negatives and everything that had been taken from me. And and so I think, you know, working through that and, and now being to a place of more acceptance over it again, you know, I can see mostly positives, um, when I push past kind of, especially the physical pain I still deal with and the side effects, you know, I think. For me, it's such victory to be able to openly tell you that I had blood in the stool, that I joke about, you know, bowel stuff and say poop and fart all the time. That's a huge victory for me that almost took my life because I couldn't talk about that. Um, When I was younger, I was so embarrassed and it, it really almost literally took my life. So for me, the freedom I get to walk in to talk very candidly and openly about topics and subjects, even if they don't have to do with colorectal cancer, like, um, I, I like to help people open up to some really, really sensitive, intimate subjects that I'm happy to be an ear for. Cause, um, I don't want people to feel like they have to hide. And so I think for me, that's a huge positive that I wouldn't be here without having this experience. Um, and that, I mean, it even goes for my connected relationship. Like it's not been a cakewalk over the years. I think we've had, you know, just like every normal married couple, we've had awesome days and not awesome days. Um, But because we've had to face some of the hardest things Mm -hmm. you have to face in a lifetime so early, we aren't always great at communicating, talking about things, but eventually we get there and it's on the table and it's it's easier to not hide anything from each other um, when that's just kind of a mantra for life. Yeah. I don't know what you'd say. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> All right. So I'll ask, I'll, I'll, let's try this again. I'll ask the question over again for Mike. <laughs> Has there been a positive from your point of view, Mike, in terms of how, this experience has impacted your relationship between the two of you? Um, I don't really know if I can pick out one thing specifically. Like I, I can't imagine a life differently. Like I was 19 when it all came about and, uh, you know, I, I never looked back. So I really can't imagine anything else. Um, and 
to take it all away would mean, you know, taking my wife away and taking my daughter away at this point. So why would I want anything else? So fair enough answer. <laughs> Michael has had this mantra ever since I was diagnosed, like we're really faith filled people. And so he always started writing on cards and things like that. God's going to take care of us. And just like really short sentence, he'd write it on cards. He'd write it in the hospital. He'd send me little notes when I was sick. And, and that's kind of been a mantra as a couple, I think even for 12 years, you know, actually more than that mm -hmm. is that's kind of our family saying is, you know, we're going to be taken care of. Things are going to be okay. And that positivity has really, I think, helped us when we're when we're caught up in the flurry of it and there is fear and there is doubt and there is guilt and there's all this kind of stuff like that kind of is a very grounding thought of okay like god's gonna take care of us we're gonna be okay yeah like like she said you know we faced some pretty heavy stuff really early on so everything else that you would think maybe maybe some other you know five year married couple might think's heavy you know it's it's not that heavy <laughs> Perspective, right. right? So I wrote down a really important word that I wanted to talk to you about, Danielle. You ready, ready. for the word? Hot dogs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the, there's a reason. It wasn't, oh, Lee's picking out cute things from his blog. No, there's a, there's a serious reason behind this. So many people that I talk to face-to-face, -face, online, when they get the di their diagnosis, they do a total 180 on on diet and vegan and all these kinds of things, which you know, which is fine. I haven't. Mm -hmm. I don't eat at McDonald's every day. Don't misunderstand me. I I I'd be smart. I'm smart about it. But my thought process is, you know, I've been through a lot, and who knows what tomorrow holds, and if. I feel like having a hot dog every now and then. I'm gonna have a hot dog, <laughs> right? And then I read your po I read your post and it was like she gets it. <laughs> oh, what's your th uh, is is that kind of your thought oh. process, or do you have a different, especially knowing that you've got more day to day physical uh, challenges that you, know, you probably pay for these choices a little bit more than I do. Um, but what, what's your thought? Well, process? I just want a hot dog now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, my thought is this needs to end. So I can go down the street to the gas station. Just <laughs> um, oh, not a gas station. <laughs> no, actually, Please. I don't do gas station. Hot dogs, usually. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So, so my diet is a point of humor around here. I've been called, uh, what do you guys call it? She's pizza lane. Oh, like, yeah. I just love kid food, apparently. No, um, so, you know, I I am on board of healthy eating, and I actually eat mostly vegetarian most of the time myself because I found that um, when I did that, a lot of the issues I do deal with chronically uh, cleared up, at least to some extent. So, you know, I do try and be very careful, obviously, if I'm traveling, I've got a whole system I go through what I eat but if I'm at home I'm comfortable I'm not getting on a plane anytime soon like my one of my favorite foods is hot dogs corn dogs cheese pizza um it just I don't know maybe it's nostalgia I've always loved hot dogs since, ever since I was a kid um and it they just make me happy you know it's sometimes 
not to be like a walking greeting card, very cliche, but I mean, it does open your eyes and it does make you think about the small things. And for me these days, it really doesn't take a lot to make me happy. I mean, I, I love a hot dog with ketchup only. And I love peanut M&M's. Oh, oh that, that's where we're going to have to <laughs> Catch Ketchup, really? I told you. Cheese pizza, <laughs> man. Cheese pizza. I just, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's small stuff. And um, I think I probably wrote something like, if I had to live life, Without hot dogs, I'm not sure life would be worth living for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think survivors need to take it in balance. Um, healthy diet exercise, absolutely really important. But so is living your life and quality of life. Like that's equally as important. And it's going to look different for everyone. And everyone can tolerate, you know, different things. For me, I happen to be able to tolerate a hot dog or corn dog every now and then. And I really enjoy that. So I definitely go for it. Yeah. yeah I, I, I brought it up in jest, but half in jest <laughs> because, uh, be, no, be seriously, because I, I see people and I, and I get it. Look, you know, you and I, you know, seven years from me and 17 for you, we've been, you know, we've been through it. And especially early on, oh, you know, I had a cookie and sugar, mm -hmm. you know, cancer feeds on sugar. And, and it's like such a overreaction. And again, I'm not, I'm not being critical. I'm not judging. Uh, we all make the decisions that's right for us. And I think you and I are just coming from the same place that it, that there's a, a, a quality of life component mm -hmm. to it for you and for mm -hmm. me. Uh, again, I'm not preaching. Everybody, you know, makes the decisions that are best for them. Yeah, uh, and it's fear. What, you know, what, I think you, you got to really food, do a gut check and say, am I doing this because I'm choosing it because it brings me empowerment and health and, and actually feel better because of these choices or I'm doing this out of fear and I'm afraid that if I eat this or I don't, you know, if I eat this or not that and I don't get enough of X, Y, Z, then my cancer is going to come back. And it, it's just, it's not, it's a complex disease. I don't think it's that simple. I've, granted, I say that I've, I have heard amazing stories. You know, I have some friends who will attest to their diet changes helping ward off cancer growth. And so I don't, I don't want to say that's not what's happening. I, I don't know. I'm just saying for me, I think for you too, I've just, I, it has to be a balance. I've found that with food. Mike, something I noticed from my involvement in the many colon cancer communities and going to conferences and things like that is that when I look at the online groups, when I look at the live events, the makeup of these online and face-to-face -face groups is like 80-20 female male. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's very accurate. Why? So, so Danielle's talking about the, look, this is the colorectal cancer is, you know, the known as quote unquote, the embarrassing disease because in our society, those are just things you don't talk about, which I put that in air quotes and something that Danielle didn't want to talk about at 17 years old, yeah. but goodness, guys just don't want to talk about anything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you think that <laughs> unless it's beer and right. football let's stay on task here um but you, what are your thoughts and any thoughts on you know is it at all possible to fix that oh gosh 
I don't. Not yeah, throw that whole I, I don't responsibility I, on you. But you live. You know, you live this. You know, every day as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's your perspective on it? I guess that. Uh, okay, so first off, I don't know if I had ever really thought about it until you said that. Um, but I do. I do see that, Fair and enough. I don't think it's. I don't personally. I don't think it's colon cancer related. I think it's sickness related in general. Um, I think guys are more proud. Um, so we're not going to show our weaknesses. Um, so I, I think that's where that probably starts. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have a solution. I don't, I don't expect to you to have the solution. I don't expect you to have the solution. I was just curious as to, as to your perspective. Cause it's something the very first conference I attended, I was like, this is odd because certainly it didn't match the the diagnosis uh, statistics. You know, Danielle, any thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. I I just I don't know why women seem to be more comfortable. I mean, yeah, I think us gals, you know, we're getting mammograms, we're getting <laughs> OB appointments. <laughs> we're, you know, there. I just think there's probably a little bit more openness to discussing bodily type things there's still the stigma with guys and prostate exams and colonoscopies and so i i think a lot of women at the conferences um they're caregivers too you know they're survivors and their mm-hmm. caregivers kind of there for their husbands and i my i hope we see more guys start to talk about it you know i think it's going to take men um speaking out to men um to get more guys to feel free enough to tell their stories, whether they're caregivers or survivors. Um, it's neat. There's a, a friend I have, his name is John. He's actually hosts, hosting like a dudes only lunch at call on Congress um, for that reason, because he sees that need of even just the guys like at call on Congress coming together, talking about male man stuff. Um, and they happen to all have been touched by this disease too. So hopefully that's a trend. Hopefully we'll see it change. Tell us a little bit about your your role with uh, Fight CRC. Yeah, um, about five years ago, I met the team at Fight CRC, and they were launching uh, the One Million Strong campaign, which they had come, come through Kansas City looking for survivors and stories to help launch this awareness campaign. They hadn't done one before. And I signed up, happy to tell my personal story and and the mix in the mix of that, um, got to know them. And I was running my own business at the time. I was a freelance copywriter and a marketer. I did social media and they saw um what I was doing and asked if I could help launch the campaign. And I was like, Of course, you know, I'd love to help. And a few months after that, they said, hey, we're going to hire our first director of communication. We really want you to consider coming on board and and doing that. And um, the org was in the midst of rebranding itself. They had just gone through a process. They changed their name. And um, they had this beautiful branding guide. And it just was waiting for me to just go put my hands all over it and implement it. And so that's what I've been able to do the past five years of just – you know, I wouldn't have considered myself really a, a policy person or a research person before I took this role. I was probably more of the awareness side. I actually came into this through the colon club. I was a colander model in 2009, which is 
was my burst, my first big step into this world. And a colander friend of mine had actually let me know that the photo shoot was happening in Kansas City. So um, I jumped in, learned about policy, learned how I could kind of use my passion for storytelling, raising awareness, good communications and marketing, PR, and uh, help people see that policy and making your voice heard on the Hill and getting involved in research is actually for everybody, even if that's not your thing. And so it's been um, an amazing, you know, opportunity to meet stories and get our organization out there. I think we're doing some world changing stuff um, as far as um, clinical trials work that we got started with Dr. Tom, um, good friend that we've recently lost. I know he was a buddy of yours too. Um, So just, you know, getting, I I get to do a lot. I get to tell stories. I get to meet incredible people like Tom and um, we get to help create ways for their legacies to live on. And, and that was probably one of the most meaningful things I've done so far is work with Tom on his trial finder and get fight CRC to a point where we could house it and make sure that it, it goes on because Tom knew he knew his time would eventually come and I'd never gotten to help somebody build their legacy while they were still around and see the impact of it until that project. And, um, so it was just a, a, it was an honor to I jump in and, and help that happen. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of the, the work I get to do at fight CRC is just be part of amazing projects like that for survivors and families touched by this like mine. What an amazing thing to help someone like Tom be able to see the the the, the fruits of their labor, so to speak. I'm sure that's something that'll stick with you forever. Yeah, yeah, it's um, deeply special to have walked through that and to see the comments come back. You know, the real impact that 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 made and makes on people's lives. Um, it's one of those positives, you know, that we're talking about is. A lot of negatives, but um, that's definitely a positive. As we start to wrap up, Mike, I'm, I'm going to put you on, you on the spot here because most of the time I interview uh, patients and survivors, I don't, uh, without going through the archives, I'm going to venture a pretty strong bet that you're my first male caregiver I've had on the show, and I've been doing the show almost mm-hmm. three years. So what I want to wrap up with is if uh, someone is listening to our conversation, uh, either he's, uh, you know, and, and I'm talking about a uh, mm-hmm. male, uh, that they're the caregiver in this situation, what words of advice do you have to help them navigate these waters and get through it? Don't be afraid. Um, which I think is a funny thing to say to guys because we're, you know, historically supposed to be the men, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> we should be bold and brave and, and, but it is that there, there will always be a fear, but I think Danielle mentioned it earlier about something else, but it's like, are you going to lean into that fear or are you going to, uh, stand up to it and um if if whatever's happening 
uh, in your life and uh, to your loved one is is that bad, I, I guess. I just I don't I don't under I don't understand why you'd want to turn away from it all now. Like what you know take take on an adventure. Like and it looks you know it might be an adventure that looks completely different from something that you thought an adventure to be, but it really is and has been an adventure. Um, and if if it's rough and you you know you're gonna stick it out and you you're gonna do it but you're like man this is just so hard though um you gotta you gotta communicate you gotta communicate everything um so back and forth and communication is not only talking but it's listening so there has to be listening and and talking and taking turns and um you know, there was a really popular movie that came out, I think, last year um, that has to do with mutants and superheroes. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, lo- I love that genre. And I always joke that Danielle's my mutant because of her Lynch syndrome. Um, I'm paraphrasing a quote from it, though, where, where they say, where uh, the lead character says the worst thing about cancer isn't what it does to you. It's what it does to your loved ones. You know, it's watching what it does to the people around you Um, and step into the shoes for a minute of the person who's going through the cancer. And, you know, they want they not only want you to love them, they want to be able to love you, but they might be so sick that it's hard. It's difficult. So just be there and know that they they want to be there for you well said. well said yeah well said. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, see what the listeners can't see is is uh that uh, i can't we're doing this on skype and i can see you and uh if i didn't have the audio and we did have some audio challenges when we started this conversation if i didn't have the audio and i say this totally from the from the bottom of my heart just the looks on your faces tells me everything I need to know about your relationship between the two of you. And I think that's, that's really cool. That's the second time we've really heard special. that in the past three days. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Okay, so there's <laughs> some truth to like, that. Are we glowing like <laughs> and, and yeah, and somehow I knew what your blog post tomorrow is no. going to be about. Uh, there's, some, there's some magic connection yes. going on here. <laughs> No, I I mean that uh, totally sincerely, and in and in the most complimentary way, and and uh, it's it's clear that the two of you are lucky to have each other, and 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 I really appreciate appreciate you taking the time to both be on uh, with me and and sharing your story, and I just want to wish you uh, seventeen more, and then seventeen more after that. Uh, it, it, and on and on and on. So I know uh, January 23rd is going to be a wonderful day. You have something special planned online? <laughs> Did I kind of see something going on yes. there? Am I jumping? The, I'm getting I'm getting giggles, meaning meaning I shouldn't no. have brought it up or it's something. No, <laughs> no, it just means you can experience it unfold the unfolding with us. <laughs> so yeah, you know, for years, you know, some years I want to celebrate the day and other years I don't even want to think about it. And I never really know how I'm going to feel 
until it gets real close. And this year, I I knew I wanted to do something. It's kind of my my fifty fifty. So I've lived half of my life now without cancer, and now the other half with it. And so I, I wanted to do something to honor the day. But these days, I have so many fellow friends who are fellow young parents for one, and then other friends who are all across the country. So you know, I'm kind of known to be the social media girl. So I thought, well. Let's do a Facebook Live on my Facebook page and have a virtual party. Um, I don't know. I'm really still craving hot dogs, so maybe I'll go get some hot dogs. <laughs> See what I I'll there. go live eating a hot dog with a party hat on. <laughs> Thanks to Lee. Okay. It, no, I. You know, I don't know what we're gonna do, but May, Mike and May will be with me, and I just wanted to go live and. Just really thank everybody for their support over the past 17 years and encourage people who are in the thick of it right now. You know, I, I, I don't want our relationship to ever make light of what it's really like. You know, we've, we've had some, some dark, dark days and nights and it's so scary and painful. Um, you know, when, when we were in those places as a individuals and couples, stories of hope and light and laughter really can help pull you out of that. And so Hopefully tomorrow that'll just serve as that as we celebrate virtually. So who knows what we'll end up doing. <laughs> it'll be live and it'll be great. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Where can people find you online, particularly your amazing blog? Um, so yeah, I have a website where I blog. It's um, DanielleRipleyBurgess.com. And so um, you can find me on Twitter too. It's at DanielleIsB. And so, yeah, links all around will kind of take you to that blog for me. I'll make sure to include those in the post that will accompany this podcast. And it, you'll be able to find it at the coloncancerpodcast.com forward slash zero eight five. Danielle, Mike, all the best to you guys. Uh, thank you. I'm looking forward to meeting the two of you in Washington. Uh, yeah, you too. Can't wait. Thank you. Well. Thank you.